Nick, it's been a while since we've talked uh, on a on a podcast. We've uh, we've chatted back and forth, but uh, it's been a while since since we actually talked. Um, I've been busy with some stuff for work that required um, uh, in my time that I would normally do uh, podcasting on. But uh, what what have you been up to? And, and then I think that you hadn't weren't on the two episodes before that, if I remember correctly. So it, so it's been about I don't know uh, two and a half months since anybody's heard anything from you. Um, what, um, what have you been up to? Well, I'm uh, back in the shop. So uh, my wife and I are back doing metal work again after a year of weird COVIDness and construction projects and a lot of kind of generally upside down life and things are back more to the normal pattern again, which I'm very happy about. Cool. Cool. But, uh, Photographically, um, what have you been doing? Um, I, uh, you've got that Fuji GFX 50. Um, have you been shooting a lot with that or have you been doing? Yeah, a- I have been. Oh. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the, the GFX has been my main focus um, uh-huh. because partly because I was super busy and, it, and also because it was new and I was trying to figure out what lenses work with it and, you know, what it's, what it does and, what I want to get out of it. And, but, um, so I put a lot of time into using it, um, but I've gotten a pretty good handle on it now. And so I'm actually starting to shoot some film again and I've been selling off cameras and lenses. Um, I'm starting to focus in on projects and want to get rid of extraneous stuff that I don't really yeah. need. Well, what and, did you sell? What did, what, uh, what did you let go? Any, uh, a mixture of folding cameras and 35 millimeter, uh, SLRs. Oh, and actually a couple of fixed lens rangefinders. So basically the stuff that built up because I just, you know, I go to a thrift store and I see something cheap and I can't help buying it. And then after a while I have too many of the things and the, but you know, that's good because they're selling for good prices now. So, you know, I actually did pretty well and made, made extra money and that's come in handy. Um, but really now I have the other thing that happened is we got a, an extra refrigerator and I finally dug all my <laughs> these boxes of p- film that people have given me, expired film that people have given me. And there was quite a lot uh, turned out. So that's exciting. So that's kind of also got me going to shoot some film again since I have all this. Uh, so uh, we'll describe his, play his with. fridge is is uh, is kind of like my fridge, uh, my fridge. I have one of those little dorm fridges. It's a big dorm fridge, but it's still a dorm fridge. It's not the tiniest. It's kind of a medium. Um, And I've got beer below in the fridge and I've got film above in the freezer. You are pretty similar, but you've got apples, right? Right. And the bottom is all full of apples that my wife grew. And then then the freezer is, you know, fairly full of film and paper and, you know, all the stuff that's built up over time. And I had just had built, I just build up more than I realized, uh, which is good because. Do you you um, have any pear trees? No, we don't. But we did, uh, Gene did plant some uh, plums last year. Plums. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, um, I've I've had pear trees long ago. They're wonderful, but you know, they're, they're harder to grow in where I live than than apples. Yeah. I, and I ask around, I ask around at all the orchards, um, uh, like in North Carolina, where I, uh, like to vacation, 
in the mountains near Asheville. Uh, there are lots of orchards and there's mm -hmm. one in particular. Um, but I always ask, do you also have pears? And they look at me like, you know, three headed freak. And, <laughs> uh, and I, there's just something about a pear that I like. Uh, I love pears. Yeah. That's my, my, uh, that's my favorite fruit too. Fruit. Yeah. But so we have, we, we also, should... we have figs too. So there's, figs. there's that. Yeah. yeah. So, or figments of your imagination. Um, let's talk a little bit. Ethan is not with us right now because Ethan is in New York um, and he's got a wheelbarrow. Actually, he's got a, a you know, a white full-size van, um, you know, because he is a white van man. It, 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 he's, he's kind of prototypical white van man. Um, he's... Um, uh, and he's took the van out so he could take the, the, the wheelbarrows full of money that he's taking back. I really don't know whether he's making any money or not, but if you have not been watching the camera dactyl, uh, Instagram feed, uh, particularly his stories, he's in New York, uh, with his 20 by 24 camera, which he talked about here on our show. Um, it, it, he's got his, um, uh, developing back and his 20 by 24 camera. And he, he's been kind of in residence at uh, Brooklyn film camera or some studio that Brooklyn film camera has set up and he is taking portraits. He is doing portraits and it looks to me, I, it looks to me like every freaking second that somebody can worm their way in front of his camera he's got somebody in front of his camera now i don't know what the turnaround time is on his backs i don't know if they have to be completely dry before you put in another sheet um and i assume that the development time is probably in the 10 minute range so you could probably do two two an hour uh, maybe three an hour if you really worked a system. Um, but it looks like they're just, uh, you know. So uh, we're hoping, I was actually kind of hoping that this episode would be about that uh, experience with a 20 by 24. But he's, he's doing full-size portraits, direct positive color images, um, uh, 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 you know, and I've, do you have any idea what they're, what they're charging at Brook, Brooklyn film camera? Cause they're the ones who were. Oh, I have no idea. Um, preserving I have it. no idea what, what's going on, but I want to get into the economics of it. Cause I know the camera, he talked about the camera being, you know, like a $4,000 camera if you wanted to buy it from him, um, you know, for him to, to make one, it would, you know, it would be in that range. Um, but I yeah. just want to know what the, what the, um, you know, profitability could be of that. Um, well, I, I think more that, I think the real thing there is, you know, do you, how, how fast are people coming in your door? Because yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you could charge what would be a reasonable amount for a professional photograph for yeah. one of those things. And it's just more a question of. Yeah. Uh, you know how many people show up I, if if i remember and i want him by the way i've been pushing him to name that camera the dora goodman not the dora goodman i do that all the time the elsa dorfman don't name it the dora goodman even though we like dora goodman's cameras it's not you know yeah that'd be like one out pretty quick that'd be like naming it the nikon or something right exactly <laughs> right. no the elsa dorfman i know elsa dorfman i think her i think she 
pay or he charged in the $1,200 range. Am I right? Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you remember when your sister was involved with that? What they charged? Well, so I, I don't know what the charge was, but we're talking about this uh, probably the late seventies, early eighties. And, um, but what they all, they did though, the, the uh, Boston art museum, which had one of the big Polaroids that my sister ran for a while, what they offered artists was a choice between paying a day rate to use the camera for a day or the artist could uh, give the museum a pick of the photos they produced during the day. And oh. so what the artists would typically do is anytime they got a shot they really liked, they would just shoot it again because yeah. in case the museum took one of them, they wanted to have the, you know their yeah. own copy. So or, that was or they of, would hide it, right? You know, it's sort of the oh. routine because they're you know one of a kind. And so you, they would shoot. Yeah. Most people would shoot two of everything, and then. The museum would, I think, just take two and put them in their collection. Um, and, you know, so this was, I don't know if it was by invitation, but the idea was that they were supposed to be uh, some kind of serious artist so that they would have some value anyway. And, but really, you know, it, it was a trade, but I mean, it was also a service they were providing right. for artists. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I I just, uh, I think that these are absolutely wonderful images. Um, there is... One of the things that I like to show in my photos, and I've talked about it over and over on the show, um, is I like to show the edge of the frame because for many cameras, that's almost a, a fingerprint. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, it's kind of like the old thing, um, you know, you, you type out a ransom note and then they do the you know, they look at that the, it drops an E, you know, or, or something like that. Uh, um, each one, you know, each camera has, and, and as it gets older, it gets more schmutz around the edge. And, yeah, some, some of my you know, old folders have hairy edges on the frame. Right, <laughs> right. And well, and that's one of the things that with 3D printed uh, cameras, you get kind of a, a, a a serrated edge where you can see the layers of each of, um, you know, each of the layers as the, um, uh, as the, the print is built up. Um, but this, uh, the 20 by 24 camera that Ethan has gives this wonderful out around the edges. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, uh, there's probably an inch and a half on either side. Uh, so it's probably 17 by 21, the actual image. Mm. Um, and, and then there's this wonderful, just swirling color and stuff at the edge. Um, and you see that on, you know, on peel apart Polaroids, um, uh you, you sometimes get that um i wonder i wonder if it's because the the film gate in his camera is th thicker than the typical thin metal one that you find yeah. in a lot of production cameras which will it might be that that extra thickness kind of yeah. causes some diffusion or shadow throwing or whatever around the edges yeah well yeah. but it's oh yeah 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 but um uh, yeah there probably is that uh and there may be some refraction refraction yes mm -hmm. Reflection yes. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> refraction and reflection at the same time. Reflection. Right, which Reflection. probably it has. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's probably some of that around the edge. Um, but oh my God, these things are beautiful. These things are yeah, they. I'm pretty excited to try it someday. I'm at this point just looking forward to fi finally getting around to finishing my 8x10 camera yeah. that I, I have parts for. And I just need to do some carp little carpentry. Um, the the good then news try is, the uh, tr try oh. this technique on that scale um, yeah. to start to start with. The good news is Ethan will be um, he's I think he's built a batch uh, and he will be releasing a four by five back that uh, does the same thing. So I think an eight by ten as well. An eight by ten, and yeah. uh, I'm really excited uh, for that possibility. Um, I have some RA four paper that I bought um, and some, you know, and tons of um, black and white paper um, and I'm not printing. So that's something that's, that, that's pretty good. So um, I have over this, this little break that we've had um, I've been um, not thinking about photography. I needed to, I, I, okay. I needed to take the time um, to really concentrate on this document that I was I was working on. So I um, uh, I wasn't really thinking much about photography. Um, I wasn't I wasn't allowing my you know like uh, over the summer I was building lenses and you know we did that lens punk um, podcast. I've not stopped doing that other than I've stopped doing everything with photography. Um, and so I've, I've been kind of, you know, like I'll shoot a roll here, I'll shoot a roll there. Um, but I haven't really, I, I haven't allowed myself to go out and shoot because then I'll have pictures that I want to see and I want to develop. And, and then that would take away from, from this project. So, um, I, the, here's the one thing that I have allowed myself to do. I've been trolling eBay and I haven't bought anything off eBay, but I've been trolling shop goodwill and shop goodwill is really hit and miss because nobody's going to test anything at most. They're going to power something on and they'll tell you it powers on. Um, but they generally don't have batteries for anything that needs batteries. Um, but I've been looking at, um, some different cameras that I could do, I could use for the lens punk uh, concept. So I bought a um, Spotmatic because the M42 screw-in mount is perfect for this um, because I can, um, uh, I, I can, you, you know, it being a round mount naturally, uh, I can uh, put in something that I can move around and I can move in and out. And generally what I've done with that is I've used felt, uh, adhesive felt that will, um, that is the right size for a friction close and it's light tight because it's this ad adhesive felt. So that's the plan. Um, so I've, I've done that. Um, I bought, uh, I, I bought a, um, I, I've been kind of, fascinated with Sears branded came out uh, cameras mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of them came out of Cocina. A lot of them came out of China. Um, uh, a lot of them were these real off-brand 
uh, or not off brand, but you know what I'm saying. They they weren't first some, line brand names. Some of them look like Pentax to me. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, and some of yeah. them are. I did buy a K1000 um, because the K1000 was going for seventy five bucks, and that's good for a K1000. Now it was pretty dirty, and one of the um, strap lugs had been pulled out of the camera. I don't know what you have to do to, to do that. I have never seen a strap lug pulled right out of the camera. Well, okay. and, and the camera survived whatever this that event survived. was. Yeah, they're right. Tough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe it was a mugging, you know, and uh, somebody had the strap and somebody had the camera and, and there's, that was the give. And there, I don't know whether the, there, the mugger got it or the. I think the dent is in the mugger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I've been doing a little bit of that. Now, I also build up, you know, because I teach um, digital photography in a community college. And if there's anybody who shows any interest in film, I'll hook them up with a film camera. And mm -hmm. so that's what these, you know, these are, you know, they've got an F2. 50 millimeter, um, you know, this is a, a perfectly competent camera that you can get to your house shipped for the $20 range. Um, you know, and these are $14 shipping costs, <laughs> you know, so it kind of tells you what, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm buying these for 10 bucks. The um, only, the only thing I've ever gotten from Goodwill is this, uh, a super graphic and oh, it okay. was, it was pretty cheap because the rangefinder part was broken and and it came with a bunch of other stuff and yeah. so and I didn't care about the rangefinder part being broken so it uh, it suited me it right it's turning out to be really handy I like it a lot my series B uh 4x3 uh Graflex SLR uh was 60 bucks at a it wasn't Goodwill it was another one a Catholic charities one that that mm -hmm. um uh, for a long time, they had a room that was cameras and electronics. And um, that room has disappeared. And I don't know whether they, maybe they just throw them on eBay directly. Um, but um, that was, uh, that, that, that might be my, that's might be my all time uh, thrift store find. Um, I've had pretty good garage sale funds. I had a, got a, like a three from a garage sale, but it, it needed, uh, it needed a full CLA. Um, the second curtain wouldn't close and, and the lens was like sandpaper. Um, the glass of the lens was like sandpaper. So, I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't find an M6. Um, but, uh, but that was a, that was a pretty good find. So, so that's what I've been doing. Um, I did, uh, I'm going to talk about in uh, the next little segment, um, what I did conceive of over this time, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I have in the last week gone out and shot. So I do have one thing that I've done, and it is kind of camera builder-ish, it's camera modifier-ish. Um, and, um, and so let's, uh, let's take a little break. Uh, we can listen to the music and, uh, we'll start the homemade camera podcast. Great.
So before I get into um, what I teased before the music, uh, I do want to say that the one thing that I have done now, some of you, if if you follow my Instagram, you you know we got a new puppy. Um, her name's Lily, and um, uh, and it, Lily has her own Instagram, and it's Puppin Ain't Easy. Um, now there are there are several Instagrams under Puppin Ain't Easy, so go to my Instagram, Graham Homemade Camera, and uh, and you can find some links from there if you look for a puppy. But um, I have a Rensha. Um, so Rensha was a Fuji camera that I think was designed specifically for golf swing correction. Okay. Uh, oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. It's, so what is that, it is, is that oh, shooting on film? Yeah, it's shooting on film. And so it shoots a bunch, one like fast fire, one, two, three, four, five in a row, that kind of thing. It's eight. It's eight, eight frames. But the, the strange thing is that it's eight frames, but it's four frames, a little tiny pause, and then four frames. I don't get it. Um, and the, the deal is, I, I think what's happening is that they have a shutter mechanism for the first four frames, the first four lenses and frames. So it's got eight lenses across the front, um, not stacked like a, uh, a spider's eyes, but eight in a row, but there are two groups of four. And I think that there are two shutter mechanisms or two shutter triggering mechanisms and one fires and then the other fires, but there's a little bit of a pause. Hmm. So between four and five, there's a tiny little pause. It doesn't, but the idea is that it would shoot and it would show your golf swing. And I, and that's all the literature, all the literature shows a golf swing. So that's what I think it was designed for. Um, and uh, so, so I have that. And maybe, maybe there's a, a little pause at the bottom of the normal golf swing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. That might be what it's for. <laughs> well, when was the last time you were you played golf? That uh, never, never, never. Uh, <laughs> I, I think my last round of golf was in about 1992, 93, maybe. Um, so yeah, there could okay. be. I wouldn't know. Um, and I, well, yeah. you should probably try it. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'll, I'll figure out. I'll correct my game. Um, but anyway, so it's this. It's this camera. It's kind of um, uh, Lamography had one that I think they called the Super Sampler or something like that. Um, but it was four in a grid, right? Um, and but this is four, and then there's a little gap on the film, and four more. So I've been taking pictures. Um, if you guys know puppies, um, you know the term zoomies. Um, and zoomies is what happens in the evening when the dog goes outside. And, and the only rule of zoomies is whatever you're doing, it has to be done at full speed. You know, just absolute the maximum speed that you can possibly do. Um, so I've been taking some, uh, I took some pictures of that. Now, um, it was kind of in the evening. It was 400. It was Tri-X, so it was 400 speed film. Um, I I think I needed to push it to 16 um, because it uh, it was in the evening. Um, but um, in uh, anyway, I've I had a lot of fun with that. And so what I do is I copy a frame, 
And uh, I put, you know, I do a copy and paste and then I put them in layers in Photoshop and then I make an animated GIF and a little video of it. And I've been able to post those um, on Instagram. And uh, and speaking of puppies, here's here's Lily who's coming up off the floor. So if I get distracted, that's uh, that's what's doing. So so anyway, that is that's been something that I I kind of wanted to do anyway. Um, and it's it, having a subject that moves at you know light speed is um, is really good for that. So uh, I highly recommend if you want to do. Um, you know, you could do dance moves or something like that. Wrenches are, are, are a whole lot of fun. It was about a hundred bucks, if I remember correctly. Uh, I bought it about a year and a half ago. Uh, and I talked about it on the show and I did some testing. And I wanted to do that kind of animation thing, you know, where I take the frames and make a little animation. And, um, but, you know, having a puppy is a, a great subject for that, so... My big thing that I wanted to do, now I've, I've worked with a lot of stereo concepts in the past. Um, I love, um, you know, those old st um, uh, stereo opticon um, thing, you know, the, the, the viewer with the cards that you would move in and out. Everybody knows what those are. If not, look up stereo opticon or Stereopticon, I think it, I think there's only one O. Um, and they were really, really popular at the turn of the century. And then they faded, but it came back in the 60s, the 50s, with um, different, um, uh, what, am I, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, came back in the, the, with like horror movies, that were in 3D and you'd wear the red and green glasses. You were around in that time, right? You know, the early 40s. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've relived it a little bit with cameras. So yeah, right. Okay. But you were you you know what I'm talking about, where you know, like the creature from the Black Lagoon would be in stereo or something like that. Yeah, um, no, I've actually I, I've I've seen at least one of those old time stereo movies, time, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, I think Abbott and Costello did one. Um, uh, that was in stereo. And then in, um, you know, about 2005, as um, flat screen LCD digital TVs were coming in, um, there were a lot of stereo, there was a lot of stereo programming, uh, or not programming, stereo, you know, movies would be in stereo. Like, I think I saw Avatar in stereo. Um, you know, all right, you know, if you're wearing 3D glasses, and I think I might have watched one of the Harry Potters in stereo, but I might might be wrong about that. So, but anyway, I I like it. It's something that I like to do. And uh, as Nick mentioned on uh, cocaine and cameraosity, um, uh, that the cameraosity podcast, um, that um, you know, I I do some stereo just with one one lens, one camera, one lens, do a sway. Um, the other thing that I've been doing a lot lately is um, using particularly Holgas and either leaving them on bulb mode um, and moving around objects or, or just doing a rapid click and moving around objects, uh, not quite as good as Frank Malkowski 
um, Malakowski, Frank, anyway. So uh, you mean you mean you mean multiple uh, firings on the same frame yes. while moving the camera, right? Yeah, and and generally rotating around seems to be a good uh, a good method of doing that. But sometimes I do a pan, um, but leaving not advancing the film and putting multiple exposures on it. So one of the things that and um, I have the the Instagram feed down the fidelity curve that really explores that type of thing. Um, and I, and part of the deal that I love with that is that's what got me through COVID the most. Um, that the idea that if I couldn't point my camera at something interesting, I needed to make what I could point my camera at interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that was what I, um, uh, I, I, you know, so I, I did a lot of that. And then I thought, and so I got, okay, with that, one of the results was I got a lot of cloudy pictures and I look at them and I'm not exactly sure what the location was. I'm not sure what the subject is, but I get this, um, I get images that uh, are visually interesting to me. They're abstract-ish. There will be something concrete in them usually, but not always. And so sometimes it's streaks of light. Sometimes it is, um, uh, you know, sometimes it, it's multiple iterations of the same thing layered on top of each other. Um, so um, I, I'm getting a lot of interesting images that, that I like with that. And so I thought, well, how, how about marrying those two things? And that was getting a... Um, you know, getting that multi-click multi or bulb mode abstract image, but doing it in stereo so it has depth. And the, and the thing that I was thinking of specifically is the idea, if you don't necessarily know what's there, but you know what's, you can tell what's in front and what's in back. Mm -hmm. um, and so that type of thing was what I, what I was really, kind of going for. So I have, um, I have the Holga 120S that Nick gave me. All right. Uh, the one time that Nick and I met in person. <laughs> um, and that was, um, you know, just after we had started doing the podcast. And um, so I was out uh, in his neck of the woods at his corner of the, of uh, the United States. I live in the other corner of the United States. And um uh, and oh wait no hold on you didn't give it to me then you mailed it to me later didn't you that, that's yeah. right yeah but okay yeah. but you tried to give it to me then and I refused um <laughs> but uh so it's a one it's a Holga 120s and the 120s was one of the first batch Holgas or the first run Holgas yeah and it's a glass lens too which I prefer yeah well okay so the other camera that I have is a 120n. And the 120N is the camera that's being produced now. It is being produced, you know, uh, uh, supposedly they had destroyed the, um, uh, all the, um, uh, the dyes and, you know, and, and it was gone. And, and they apparently got discovered in a warehouse. Um, and they started up building Holgas again. And, um, and so the 120N is, is a repop, we would call it, you know. 
but the 120N um, has the ability to switch between bulb and time, whereas the 120S doesn't. Um, they have different lenses. So I've been, I've been creating um, uh, um, sorry, and Nick's sending me stuff, Annie. Uh, so um, I, I have shot two rolls, two rolls with my Holga Duel. And this is what I did. I took some tape and you could think of foam tape, but this, this is clear, like clear plastic tape that is maybe an eighth of an inch thick. So mm -hmm. it's, it's thick. It's supposed to be really nicely um, uh, sticky and it, well, but the big thing is that it's got kind of a rubbery texture and it's got good adhesion. And I stuck two Holgas bottom to bottom um, and I hold them and I fire their shutters independently. Now I have, I'm on the lookout. So I have, I've, I put an Instagram story saying, has anybody, uh, does anybody have one of these that you want to get rid of? Um, and I, oh, sorry, let me tell me what, tell you what the NE is. Holga made a dual stereo and they made it two different ways. They made it as a pinhole camera and they made it as a lens Holga. And they were, you know, they're central, essentially Franken cameras. Uh, Nick, you were talking about, um, uh, you met a guy at a, at a camera swap meet who had a stereo, uh, Canonette, right? Right. Two Canonettes that he'd grafted together, but he went yeah. much farther than most people do. He'd actually re-engineered the gearing oh, um, really? and add, added some gears and somehow, uh, so that it would advance in a, in a more normal way uh -huh. and get, and, and he shot, he told me thousands of stereo images of his family growing up over the years with this wow. thing. And it was beautifully made. It yeah. was an older Japanese guy. And uh, I'm not sure. He said he made it a long time ago. And yeah. yeah. So, so the, the, the one, the, okay. So here's a challenge of making a stereo camera matched lenses and matched focal settings. Right. So uh, one of the things that I often do, when shooting a Holga is I'll put um, the focus, you know, it's, it's um, uh, to, to quote Mike Rosso, it's one bloke, two bloke, or right. one bloke, three bloke, a group and mountains. Right. Right. Um, so I, I, I'll kind of fudge it in between. Well, I'm now pretty much set with, I've got to hit one of those um, right on because I have to, I have to focus both of them. Um, so that's number one. You've got to have your focus unified. Because, because, if because if it's a stereo image, it's going to be too disturbing if your eyes are focused at different distances when you're looking at the image. Right, right, right exactly. <laughs> and But I mean, it, it, most of us really, truly, I mean, if if you get, you know, past your past your 50th birthday, if you if you're lucky enough, like Nick and I are, uh, to be past your 50th birthday, then, you know, if you take your glasses off without correction, most of us do have one eye blurrier than the other eye, right? It's not even just blurrier. I think the magnification is different. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, here's one of the things that I did. I remember as a, as a child, 
um, looking at at uh, carpet and closing one eye, you know, opening and closing. And I got different colors. I mean, I, mean, I specifically remember it at my grandmother's. And there are were different colored greens. You mm. know, it would you know, anyway. So our eyes are a little bit different. So it's not it's not super important. Critical, it, right? It is good. Yeah, and your brain your brain's gonna for your that. brain's gonna fudge some anyway. So right. yeah, right. absolutely. Um, yeah. And most of us have a dominant eye, and whatever that dominant eye is, that's what's going to be seen uh, mostly. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so that's one of the things. The other thing is, if anything is moving, you have to have perfect synchronization um, lens to lens. And, uh, oh, yeah, I should also say in the spring, um, I, you know, so six months ago, I tried to buy a Sputnik stereo, a Lomo Sputnik, and this is the old Lomo. Um, you know, it's a Bakelite plastic. It's not probably Bakelite, but it's a Bakelite-like plastic uh, 1950s, 1960s, 120 roll film with uh, synchronized and matched lenses. Um, and that was um, that was really good, except that the second lens would never fire. I mean, it I could get it to fire one time out of 10 uh, in, in synchronization. Um, so that went back. Um, but, um, so I, I kind of got soured on one of those. Uh, and I think it has to do with the fact that it, you know, it's bumped on every machine and, you know, uh, every machine that holds it, uh, between here and, and, uh, Kiev or wherever I bought it from. I don't remember. Uh, exactly where somewhere in, in the old Soviet bloc. So um, the the thing that that so I wanted I saw this Holga. Um, I I just came across well okay um, on eBay there was for a while a pinhole stereo and that works for me with a lot of things but that wasn't what I wanted. I want because I can do a pinhole stereo. Um, what I wanted was a lensed, synchronized one of those. Well, I can find one in Australia and it's going to cost me about 200 bucks. Um, there, I haven't seen one on eBay. Um, so I, I put up on, on Instagram, has anybody ever seen one of these? Does anyone have? And the only, uh, only person who came back was um, um, uh, Lensless Podcast, Corey. Uh, and he said 450 bucks. And I don't think he actually had one, but <laughs> I think he was just, just laughing at the price of Holgas. Um, uh, and I said, I, you know, I came back with, I was thinking 20 bucks and you pay shipping. But, <laughs> but uh, our negotiations stalled at that point, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, so I decided, okay, I if I... So I've made this one out of a 120S and a 120 n but they've got different lenses. Mm -hmm. So one of the lenses is sharp all the way through, and one of them is sharp in the center. And as you go out, it gets much blurrier, much more quickly. And I don't really care. 
I don't care which one it is. I just need them the same. Well, actually, I do have a matching one to the one I gave you because I bought them both at a thrift store together. Um, and I'm from so I could easily send you a ma- another one that's exactly the same. Oh, good God! And I need to give you money and have you send out the um, the uh, Kmart lens um, that uh, I asked. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So um, which which well, one? Was, which was that? A fifty fifty two? Um, that was yeah no yeah it was a fifty millimeter. I think it was. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, 50 F2. That was mm-hmm. what you were trying to say. Um, so anyway, um, so I've shot, I shot two sets of rolls because, you know, you're talking two rolls of film. So I, I, I went out and shot it twice. And one of the times I did what I was talking about with the multiple exposures. And the other time I went out and just shot one frame for each frame, you know, I just did it as a stereo camera. And I, I found out that they don't match. So I went and bought a, uh, and I ordered it two days ago. Ah, wish we would have had this conversation two days ago. I ordered it two days ago, another 120N, but I have it, but it's coming, it's a red plastic, red and white plastic 120N. So the the one thing that it's going to be good is red on the right. I'll always be able to hold up the camera the same way because otherwise there's no indication as to what is up on this camera. Um, so anyway, that's that's my exploration. Um, if you know, watch my Instagram feed. Um, we're going to put the show up right away. We're recording it on Monday, October 11th. And um, there's no uh, if you're looking for the YouTube, there's no YouTube on this. Um, but, um, you know, so, so it's a fun experiment it's a cheap experiment. You know, it's not the cheapest experiment, you know, uh, a shoebox and, and paper and, uh, you know, and a pinhole at one end, that's a cheap experiment. This is going to be an experiment that's going to cost me an additional, um, uh, $43, um, shipped with a roll of HP five which I thought was great, you know, cause that's an uh, HP five is an $8 roll of, you know, for a 120 film, it's an $8 roll. So that's pretty good. Um, so I'll have more of that. Um, this is, um, I, I want to talk about one thing Nick was, so there's a, um, for those of you who listen to the original cocaine and waffles, um, podcast, uh, there were two of them, I think, um, that came out on the classic lenses feed. It is now, it now has its own feed and it's cameraosity. And um, Mike Ekman, um, if you've never been to mikeekman.com, go do yourself a favor. If you've done a, a search about a camera and something comes up, likely it's Mike Ekman. Um, cause he just does review after review after review of it's things. several hundred now. Yeah. Yeah. hundred. Yeah. Um, and so I can't tell you how many times I've searched something out and, uh, I've started reading and I go, Oh, this is Ekman's. Um, so, um, uh, so anyway, Nick was on it the other day and, um, oh, well, actually maybe it's a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he said that the, the one thing that we do or the concept that we do here at homemade camera and all of you do out there who are homemade camera ists, um, that it, we build things 
I'm, we're not trying to match an FM2 or an FM3A, right? Um, we're not trying to match uh, an Olympus Stylus Epic um, or Mewtwo. What we're trying to do is we're creating these things that don't otherwise exist. Or if they exist, you know, they're ridiculously expensive. Hence the 50 projects across the world that are trying to capitalize on the, um, uh, on the, um, uh, what is it? The Hasselblad pan. X-Pan. X-Pan. Thank you. Um, yeah, that, that format is very desirable and yeah. there, are, there aren't and any. I've got a project working on that, you know. Cheap versions, right. Yeah. 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 So, so, so it's, it, the whole point is that I created this easily, cheaply, relatively cheaply. I love that. That's the <laughs> that's the sound of a true Holga. Sound of quality. Yeah. So you were going to say? I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh no. Um, yeah. That they mentioned uh, the homemade camera podcast in a few contexts, which I'm going to elaborate on a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but the idea of making your own cameras, there are a lot of different reasons. Some people do them just to make a thing of beauty or an art object. Right. I mean, I know photographers who've made really Eric elaborate Cam. cameras. Yeah. Or, or, or Carlos's, Carl right. Richards, Carlos. There, there are many photographers who've made very elaborate or beautiful cameras, partly as a way to bewitch the subject or to get people to stick around. And, you know, it's it's a way to keep people interested instead Wayne of just. Martin, Wayne Martin Belger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, but we're trying to take pictures with them. You know, that's part of the deal. And and I'm not saying. Um, uh, I think that I think that this was even mentioned on that same show. Um, you know, the the old saying of the best camera you have is the camera that you have, right? The best camera you own is the one that's in your hand when you have a picture to take. Um, uh, the the and but there are cameras that get you to take better pictures because you think about it. And you, there are cameras that beg you to pick them up. Um, and that's part of it. Um, but it's it, but it's also, you know, a lot of it is this, um, you know, we're, we're developing cameras that don't otherwise exist or don't economically exist or are not reliable, like the old Lomo, um, uh, Sputnik Lomos. Uh, which are 200 bucks, you know, again, I could get a Holga that takes the exact same picture if I could find a Holga um, that that takes the, the, you know, the twin lens Holga. So, so anyway, that's what I've been doing over uh, the last six weeks, six or eight weeks. So another reason that people like to make their own cameras is to try experiments and new ideas that you, you aren't going to be able to do with a regular standard camera. And uh, uh, recently, a new product came out from Lomography called the the Lomo. What is it called? Lomo Graph Lock. And it's a it's a back designed to fit on a four x five Graph Lock camera and shoot Instax wide film. Um, and it works just like an Instax camera with a battery-powered 
ejector that, you know, pops out the photo when you take it. It has a dark slide, so you can take it on and off. And they, because it puts the film back quite a bit farther than a standard uh, large format film holder, there's a spacer that goes with it, which you can slide behind a spring back ground glass and it will push the ground glass back to the correct distance to Doesn't match the film. And it also, the it, also it gives you the framing if you put it in right ways around because it's an asymmetrical device. And it, there are other possibilities, other ways to manage it. Um, but one thing about it that's a little odd is that it's designed to work with press cameras and spring back cameras. So the actual uh, LOMOG, the, uh, the thing that does the Instax film is big and thick and you need a, a generous spring back to, it, most spring backs aren't generous enough to accept it. So that is attached by the graph lock tabs, but the spacer it only works with a spring background glass. So press cameras are typically set up that way. So you can actually remove the spring background glass and use the graph lock tabs to mount the film. But quite a few cameras aren't designed that way. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of standard large format cameras, basically from, I'd say, the late 50s on, about the same time the pacemaker graphic came up with that design. Um, but there are quite a few cameras around that aren't set up like that. Like, for instance, uh, Ethan Moses Camerodactyl OG has just the spring back, and there is no graph lock tabs. So there's no way to mount this on that particular camera. I mean, I suppose you could use big rubber bands and that would probably work fine. Um, but, you know, you, you have to sort of work out uh, some kind of workaround for that um, with, with quite a few homemade cameras. That's okay. The other thing is that I, the, uh, there are also cameras that are just graph lock and don't have a spring back. So I've quite a few homemade cameras set up that way. And for those, you're going to have to use rubber bands to hold on the spacer and ground glass. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, it would have been nice if they'd put tabs slots for the graph lock on the spacer as well. Um, and I may just cut some in it myself because it's just plastic. Um, and then tape a, a ground glass that, that's spaced correctly. And, and I have a couple of those. Just tape that onto the spacer so that you can just slap the whole thing on a camera that lacks a spring back. So there, there are some easy modifications, but it won't work with every four by five camera just the way it is. You have to at, le at the very least bring some big ro jumbo rubber bands or elastics um, to make it work. But for a standard press camera, it's perfect. And um, the other thing, it's nice to have some big pockets because you're going to be just like with a roll film back, you're juggling the ground glass, the spacer and the film back. Um, so I've used it a little tiny bit. When it arrived, it was pitch dark and pouring rain and couldn't, you know, there wasn't enough light outdoors to take a decent photo, even though this is a 800 ISO film. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I had this bright idea and I put a, a digital oh. image up on my monitor. A bright idea on a dim day. <laughs> right. And took the uh, press camera and took a, you know, carefully focused close-up picture of the of of an image on my uh, computer monitor and that actually worked really well and it made a actually a sharper clearer image than i've been able to get using the, the camera outdoors <laughs> and then i uh simply took a you know iphone photo of the resulting print so i was able to come up with a digitized version of this image but the image had passed through three different cameras several different processing 
processes. And it still came out more or less like the, the original photo, but it was kind of interesting. So I think I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this. It's in theory, it's a way that you can, uh, it, in theory, it's the way that you can um, completely, you know, sort of test a four by five image before you shoot it, but it's a smaller image. Um, there, there's no way whatever you're shooting in your four by five, is going to match the color. Now, maybe the monochrome will work better as a way to judge a mono shot. But in general, I think the film is so different than whatever else you might be shooting in a large format camera that I think using it as a test, uh, pre-shot test is probably of somewhat limited value, value, uh, value, although it might be useful maybe for flash shots um, to, to test those before making a four by five image. Anyway, it's fun. And the actual size of the image is really a much closer to six by nine uh, contact print than it is to four by five. It's a little wider, a little bit taller, but you know, by a few millimeters, but it's, it's more in that uh, medium format size range. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, um, but I'm not sure how useful it'll be. It's, it's, uh, but it's got me experimenting with uh, some cameras that I have been neglecting. And so that's a good thing in itself. And then I, I hope that was clear enough. If anyone has any questions, you feel free to or raise your hand right now if you have any questions. That's, <laughs> that's there, what you yeah, need right. to do. There are, there are a couple of things that I think are interesting for this. One of them is, once again, multiple exposures, I think is you know something um, that would be interesting on that. You know, um, I was thinking of a multiple tilt to a lens, you know, or yeah. tilt your swing or something like that within the same image, I think could be kind of- That's cool. a really interesting idea. So like a static image. And one thing too, these yeah. this, these little tiny pieces of film work best with fairly simple images of things that are fairly close. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's not really the right medium for detailed landscapes, but for, for what you're describing is an interesting idea because with the large format cameras, I mean, and this works on a big rail camera and no problem, um, you could try, leaving everything stationary, but playing with lens tilt and seeing what yeah. you can do with focus. And yeah. that might be really interesting actually. Yeah. Um, by, by changing the plane of focus and mul doing multiple exposures. Um, and I'm also really looking forward to trying the black and white uh, film. I think that might even be more fun. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I'm interested about is color because I don't, uh, I don't have any color cheap film. Um, so that's actually one of the interesting things for me because I've got plenty of black and white sheet film. Uh, I just don't have any color sheet film because if it's cheap enough for me to buy, it's 40 years old, right? Um, and it's old, old Vericrome or Vericolor. Vericolor to me, I don't care. I've had maybe um 20 different samples of vericolor and i cannot get any color that's anywhere near truth uh, mm -hmm. so um yeah, but I, i'm looking forward to that um i'm looking forward to be a i'm looking forward to this uh, by the way uh nick and i ordered ours pretty close to each other uh nick got one of the first batches after i'm guessing after the um uh the kickstarter fulfillment and mine's sitting off long beach probably um i've been told november 
is is when the next batches are going out. So if you didn't get it in the if you're in the United States and you didn't you ordered it and you didn't get it in the October batch. Well, there's container the early November batch. There's been container ships anchored all over Puget Sound because yeah. shipping is so backed up now that yeah. when we can look out in several directions and see multiple boats just parked at anchor. It's kind yeah. of infuriating because they run their diesel engines the entire time. Right. Um, they're not allowed to turn them off. I guess it would be unsafe because it takes so long to get them started again if the yeah. you know anchor dragged or whatever. <laughs> well, but, yeah, uh, and that's the other people, thing is. Yeah, um, people have to put up with that now. Yeah. It's very strange. And a lot of them use a GPS system uh, to stay in one location without an anchor. So that's it. Oh, yeah. That's well, I, re I remember meeting an old schooner captain and his method when he was asleep and worried that the anchor might drag. He would tie a rock to a string, tie the other end of the string to his toe and throw it into the water. And so it would sit on the bottom. And if the boat started to move, it would pull on his toe and wake him up. <laughs> I'm just thinking about a curious sea creature getting a hold of that, pulling, pulling him to, to Davy Jones, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that just struck me as we started talking about this is the idea of how this would be very handy as a Polaroid pinhole device. Um, because, you know, once again, you don't have to focus. So you, you just build a, build a box that slides onto um, the, you know, this, this back and, you, you know, and pinhole away, right? Um, I, I, I'd like to make, I'd like pinhole, that. But, you know, I think it's worth a try. I'd like to yeah. try it with, um, I'd like to try building a purpose-built body for the Mamiya Press lenses because oh, yeah. then, because you can't just, well, first of all, it needs a four by five graph lock back. But yeah. second of all, you could add the extra spacing, which actually, um, the, I, don't, the I don't think it would be from Mamiya Press. It wouldn't be very far. No, but the you have to add. You have to add the nineteen point four millimeters of the spacer, so that uh -huh. so you take the Mamiya Press flange back distance, add nineteen point four millimeters, and then the, you'll be able to focus with the scale focus with scale the lenses. Focus, right. Yeah, and you won't have to bother with the. Uh, well, you could still use a ground glass. You just wouldn't need the spacer. Right. So. Right. Yeah, that that would actually be a nice setup, and it's it's just a box and a couple of. Ethan's, you know, mounts. He's he makes four by five mount, and he makes right. a, a, a Mamiya press mount. And he, basically, you just need a box and those two things to make this camera. And I think that that would be really nice for because you know it is kind of a Polaroidy thing, and it I think it's almost more suitable as a point and shoot medium than it is yeah. on a big old rail camera, or, you know, where you're fussing and focusing, and it's just not enough resolution to be worth it. It's more like you should yeah. make a light, simple camera, you know, and scale focus it and fire away. I think that'd be the yeah, best way you, to use you, them. I know uh, Ethan's, you know, busy with the wheelbarrows of money, but the, <laughs> and I'm saying that he may not be making any money at all on this. I don't know what he's making on this, but uh, I just see, you know, it, it sellout says to me, you know, lots of money. But um, when he's done with that, I don't think that that would be, difficult you know once he gets back to the to the uh camera dactyl layer of in, in a oh video. sure um yeah he could make these quite easily yeah 
and yeah. pick or pick a popular lens like the uh, you know the Angulon and just make a standard body for the Angulon and the four by five back or the um, Mimia Press lens mount. Yeah, I mean then right. you don't have to worry about it. Everything will work with it. You know, every yep. one in that. Mm-hmm. No, that would be good. Definitely. Well, anyway, I'm just starting to experiment with it. It seems pretty fun, and uh, we'll report back after I've done more. So uh, I was on one of the episodes of Camerosity, and Camerosity podcast is a call-in show that um, there's, you know, s- several hosts that are usually there, um, and some people who, is, who are especially focused on trying a lot of different kinds of cameras that like old cameras. That's kind of where they come from. And, but all different kinds of people will, will join in the conversation. Um, and, 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 and once again, it's, it, uh, stems from the um, classic lenses classic podcast. lenses group. Yeah. So it well, classic classic lenses podcast group. Yeah, that's but, what, and, but yeah. also the Facebook group and all that type of stuff. So right, but there's the, also another group that are, that are named classic lenses. At least one other, probably more. So oh, okay, to, okay. The classic yeah. lenses podcast Facebook group. There we go. Group. Okay, there you go. Or what you is can, it? You, um, well, you can uh, go to mikeekman.com. Has all of this on it. Okay. As well. Yeah. So anyhow, and that this, the one after I was in, involved, they had a podcast number seven, uh, a couple of topics came up that I'm really interested in. One of them was the idea of future proofing, uh, photography. So people have a lot of anxiety about the films dwindling, the old cameras breaking, the old repairmen that can fix the remaining cameras dying off, which is all happening. Um, yeah. You know, I one of my favorite repairmen, well, he's not dead, but he can't repair cameras anymore. He's just too old. So these kinds of things are, are happening and it's making people nervous. But one of the things that got us interested in the homemade camera uh, idea in the first place was along those lines, was not just uh, that we like making them and we want to make cameras that we couldn't just find in the store, but also uh, the idea that if we make simple cameras ourselves, we, they will be, we can maintain them ourselves forever. And the other thing, and Anthony Rue mentioned this in passing on the podcast was that as films dwindle, you get more and more get involved in alternative process or making your own films. Um, Presumably the basic silver emulsion will remain available at some level for quite a while. Um, So you can coat glass, you can coat uh, gelatin, film stock, if you can get a hold of it, you can coat paper. There's all different ways to go about sort of making your own emulsions to use in a camera. And that I think is going to hang on for a long time. Some of the old processes are pretty basic and the raw materials will be available far into the future. Um, So I'm not so much worried about the end of the traditional current film stocks because I think, first of all, I think it's going to take them a while to completely go away. I think Ilford will be making black and white for a long time to and come. FOMA. And FOMA. And color, maybe that, you know, we'll see how, if Kodak's hanging in there for now. So if Kodak Laris keeps going, we've got that. But even if that stuff eventually goes away, and even if store-bought cameras uh, 
you know, used cameras that we're depending on now um, wear out or become very expensive, we can always make our own. And the one thing that's always available are lenses. And even today, they're making some very good manual focus lenses that are quite inexpensive for, especially for 35 millimeter, but there are ones that cover a medium format size. And I think large format lenses are going to hang around for quite a long time just because uh, those shutters slowly wane, but even if they completely die, you can simply use them with a, a basic focal plane shutter, or if you're using a slow emulsion, your old lens cap trick. I mean, there are going to be ways to take photographs. Or, and, and or a part, guillotine, you know, a guillotine and, shutter you put on the front. The more I mess around, the more I feel like those alternative processes and those really kind of pushing the boat out far from the dock film processes are the ones I'm most interested in. And if I want to shoot at night, if I want to shoot a fast moving object, I really, I just tend to think, well, digital's the right thing for that anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I don't feel the need to make film cameras compete with digital cameras. I feel like actually it makes more sense to let them diverge. So in my own cameras, I've moved more and more towards primitive old fashioned cameras like press cameras uh, and homemade cameras um, that have, you know, are very simple, especially the, uh, the really old ones basically you almost only need carpentry skills to to repair them and I, you know that i think those are going to last that type of camera is going to last indefinitely as long as a few people want to tinker with them and uh the glass plates are something i'd like to try but that's another really um appealing alternative to film so i don't feel so worried about the future of photography. I, and, I could I could see it actually being almost more enjoyable to be in these experimental realms anyhow, uh, as time yeah, goes I, on. I think that there's something to that. Um, uh, one of the one of the parts of that conversation that I thought was interesting was the idea um, that maybe the bulk rolled dollar a roll um, Tri-X or well, I guess Tri-X is now two dollars a roll, but um, you know, like the the ultra fine film, uh, ultra fine, ultra fine extreme film that I love so much that is coming up on a year, not being available for a year. Um, so I'm guessing that that ultra fine extreme may be done. Um, whoever their manufacturer is cannot supply them, hmm. um, and uh, I'm really hoping not because I love that film. It's cheap film. It's, but it's not just that it's cheap film. It's that I, I like the look of that film. And, you know, and there's speculation. There's a lot of people who, who believe it to be uh, Kentmere. But the big thing is it's Kentmere in 120. And that's what I love about it, um, uh, is that 120 film. So, um, but the, the, you know, there, the big the big thing is, that they're talking about, you know, it may be 15 bucks a roll at, you know, at 2021 prices, 15 bucks a roll to shoot a roll of film at some point. And just simply because all that old stock that we could shoot is gone and nobody's really many manufacturing much. Um, I think eventually Harman, uh, Harman Technologies, the makers of Alfred film, um, and FOMA may be merging, you know, maybe one will buy the other. Um, uh, and I'm not saying that from any sort of inside knowledge. It just seems sensible 
that those two people, those two groups that are very much focused on paper and um, and film, one will probably gobble up the other one at some point. Hmm. Um, Who knows? But um, but you know, I'm also putting some money on. Um, Jason Lane, who was, when he was on our podcast, was talking about, you know, setting up a, a, a paper, um, uh, or not a paper, a, a film coding machine. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about that. Um, uh, you know, it, but that's not going to be $3 a roll. Right. Um, you know, and most likely it's going to be uh, 35. So no, but then what we're talking about, though, in a way is is going farther from the, the shoot too many pictures and more into the take your time and make yeah. your dollar your dollar a shot yeah. well spent. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I, I find that to be um, but a the good one way thing, to work as well. When when film uh, hits fifteen dollars a roll, cameras are going to hit. They're going to dip again. Um, because one of the things that we can do is we can get a professional camera for hundred bucks. Um, we can get a camera that will do everything that the highest end SLR does, um, for hundred bucks right now. And that's all, you know, like the Canon EOS, um, you know, cause you can manually focus them or you can auto focus them and they will expose perfectly every damn time. Well, you and- can actually... Get, do a lot better than that. There are some similar cameras of a, of a, not quite as well made, but uh-huh. perfectly functional plastic Nikon's and Pentaxes that are more like fifteen dollars. Yeah, that are, right. <laughs> that right. Can do but all that point, stuff. Yeah, and my whole point is, yeah, you're right. And in fact, those those uh, Pentaxes will take K-mount lenses, which are, you know, if you buy a Chinon. Uh, 50 millimeter 1.9 it's going to be 15 bucks or 10 mm-hmm. bucks right. or it's going to be uh you know free with any other purchase kind of thing mm-hmm. but um so i i think that uh i i'm not too worried about my lifetime um i'm not too you know i'm 56 i'm not too worried about uh my lifetime being able to to play in this medium and if I have to, I'll go digital. I don't, I, you know, um, I, I can make my Fuji X Pro 2 do what I want it to do. Um, I, I equally so, enjoy both media. They're just different. Yeah. And I, I don't yeah. have it. Yeah, that's yeah. not a problem. But I still, I'm interested in thinking about where this can go, because yeah. whether I live long enough or not, things change surprisingly fast. And yeah. You're in right. ten, in ten years, we could be in a really different place where maybe I won't have the income to be buying the overpriced film that's still left by then. And this is, you know, this is one reason I'm interested in this idea of moving towards sort of do it yourself all the way down the line and a more old fashioned approach where you make a few really careful exposures with you know specially prepared photo medium that you've done yourself and all of that. And with that in mind, I wanted to comment that I've, I've talked about old-fashioned and simple cameras, but there's no reason to feel that those are unsophisticated. Right. And you you can see some, you know, real current examples are like Jeff Perry's uh, upgraded um, old Graflex single-lens reflex cameras. So, mm-hmm. so they're very old, but they're high quality. And then he puts a, a lot of more modern optical, uh, you know, 
viewers and so forth on them and, and lenses so that they become very high quality, very sophisticated cameras, which yet can still be repaired and maintained with very simple tools, um, right. even down to the shutters. And there are people um, maintaining and rebuilding those old fashioned focal plane shutters. And there's absolutely no reason. I mean, those can always be made by somebody. And mm -hmm. if that's the only kind of camera left, they'll get made uh, by somebody out right. there. I mean, it, it's, it could even be a do it yourself thing with a little, uh, a little practice. So, but, so I'm not, I'm thinking so that it doesn't mean we're going to return to primitive. And I think that's also misleading in a lot of ways. The old photographic equipment was in some ways better than the modern stuff. I mean, if you look at a really good glass plate is better than any equivalent film stock can produce, at least for black and white. Um, but even color, if you've got the time and energy, you can do three exposures with three different filters and do something like, a, you know, uh, uh, what's the, um, the, the stuff based on gum Arabic that makes yeah. on really beautiful color. It's laborious. It's going to take you a lot of time to get any good at it, but it's beautiful. And in a way that no modern film stock can even come close to. So I think all this is still there. And I think that's the direction it's going to go. And it already is going in that direction that people are doing more and more alternative process, more and more kind of sophisticated experimentation. Uh, and then there is another group of people like the Camerosity podcast people who are just in love with old cameras. And they're the ones that are worried about the film stocks dwindling because they really just want to relive the experience of shooting with mm -hmm. fairly complex cameras from, so, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, really. Yeah. So what you're saying is that uh, eventually everybody will be, will come over with us uh, and, and be a homemade camera person. I think at some point for film anyway, that's quite likely. Um, I mean, of course, there will be still some people who, you know, like there will probably always be a like a repair place somewhere in the world if you can afford it. And, you know, there's going to be a few things that will hang around, but there are limited numbers and they do get lost and they do get expensive and all those things happen. So. So I wanted to give a shout out to Gustavo Gargiulo, Gargiulo uh, who's been posting a really interesting camera that he created uh, on the Homemade Camera Podcast Facebook group. And what he made is he took an, an, a broken or disassembled Instax Mini and somehow grafted it onto a Voigtlander Brilliant twin lens reflex camera so that <laughs> it's this wonderful little you know, instant film camera that produces these small Instax images. Uh, and there's that old brilliant lens is like perfect for Polaroid. It's got a lot of character, but it's still got pretty good sharpness. And the camera is actually quite simple. It's not elaborate like a Roloflex. Um, so it's it's really suited to, to that kind of film. And it looks like it works really well. And it looks wonderful too. There's a beautiful camera. Um, this black plastic blob glued to the back doesn't, really detract from how pretty the front of it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting, uh, sim similar to the things we're talking about, um, grafting the modern onto the old and sure. moving forward.
All right. Uh, I don't have any specific shout outs um, this time around, just, um, you know, the community. Um, so I'm shouting out to you, everybody, the you. Um, and, uh, but I think we should shout out to Robbie Cribs. What do you say? Oh, we should, we should shout out to Ethan Moses too. Our, yep. our wayward non-participating uh, um, host. And my dog is, this is my dog, Lily. Now, Lily has a doggy door that she has not been able to go through at all. She was outside. She has come through her doggy door herself for the first time right now. So I'm shouting out to Lily. Yay, um, Lily. This, this is my pup, you know, <laughs> pup and ain't easy. Um, I'd so, like to point out to the viewers that are listening to us that this dog is a black and white dog. It's yes. a monochrome dog. Well, there's a hint of pink here and there, but yeah, it's basically a monochrome black and white. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful dog. I think she's a Dalmatian mix, actually. I think she has some Dalmatian in her. She has some Wab in her. She has some Pitbull in her. So, so she's a she's a she's pit a Mason. Uh, yes, there we go. The Pitmation. <laughs> um, so uh, so anyway, I'm really happy with that. Um, uh, shout out to Ethan Moses um, of uh, Camberdactyl, who is not with us. Uh, and we want to say thanks to Robbie Cribs of soundtrapstudios.com. And there is also a, a software soundtrap. That's not him, uh, but Soundtrap Studios. Um, thanks, Robbie, for composing our music and letting us use it each time we do one of these podcasts. So Th thanks, Robbie. Mm -hmm.